They say that home is where the heart is. Maybe that's why so many fall in love with Big Pine Key and Florida's Lower Keys. With epic ocean views, unspoiled wilderness, sandy beaches, abundant wildlife, RV resorts, and Stock Island's rustic charm. Florida's Lower Keys don't skip a beat. For more about the Lower Keys and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash lower keys. I've known Tanya Schultz since at least early 2012. And we were introduced digitally through a mutual acquaintance from LinkedIn. Tanya is a live stream junkie. And in meeting up with her at least once a week for a year, we got to know each other as if she was my next door neighbor. She is a life extensionist and the founder of No Aging. She leads the association for Women in Communication South Florida, and she is the founder of Social Chats. A true influencer and a dog mom of five. <laughs> Cheng Chow, Tanya. <laughs> you know, thank you so much for having me on. I'm gonna say, your message you sent me, I thought I was seeing things because you had you say you had a Vietnamese word. I was like, is that someone from Vietnam? Is that Debbie Erickson? So I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is awesome. Well, I'm very impressed. Well, thank you for having me on, and I'm excited. And I love the fact that we caught up in all these years. I mean, what has been, we did it, we live streamed, I, we literally talked every Friday in 2012. Yeah. All the way, we, I think we made it through Christmas and then 2013, early 2013. I think that's when we went. Then you guys did your own thing, and I was doing my other stuff. And that's so right. Now, that's right. Are, and then, like, and then now I mean, I we come back to each other periodically. Oh, wait. Well, we're friends now. on Facebook. I mean, like, I feel like, yeah, well, when you go to Facebook, it's kind of like having someone over for dinner, you know, you're there, Facebook. And then, like, you know, when you're on Twitter, it's like going to get coffee with somebody. That's how I, that's how I, de I describe social media based on the platform and how close you get. But then now with social audio, it's changed, though. It's like, interesting that's true that's true so i gotta ask you a question about your dogs in a way okay. does your son ever get jealous my man of no your son ever get your son I, and your I, man ever I'm get jealous right. of the dogs no but, well my son is like a full-grown man now but he's um he you know he's i think i think when we were doing the show he was around you know because i remember talking about him all the time and now he has his own life and everything he has his own two babies so yeah. I'm a grand a grandmother. Wow. I got my puppies and I'm grandmother too. So no, he's never no, because you know, we started out with one uh, Brussels Griffon and one night my girlfriend bought the other Brussels Griffon over, a male Brussels Griffon, <laughs> and we were drinking champagne and we weren't paying attention. And next thing we know, they're like it's just like one of those things, right? <laughs> and then I find out that my poor dog is pregnant, and then they say, Oh, you only have him four. Well, she didn't have four. She had six. So we uh, we ended up like we didn't sell them or anything. We gave one to the daddy, uh, the daddy mommy, or what you want to call it, the, the the male dogs. My my old friend. She and I got in a fight over it. It was kind of crazy. So I gave her a puppy, and then my best friend got a puppy, and then we kept uh, the the two puppies went to my in laws, and then they got six, so I took them back. So I ended up keeping. So now I have five, and they're like seniors. They're they're like uh, the mom is thirteen, the puppies are eleven. So they're not puppies anymore. So yeah, but they're a handful. I mean, one puppy I speak Vietnamese to because she was supposed to originally go to my mom. And so she only understands Vietnamese. <laughs> so now we have, yeah, we, we bilingual. 
Wow. Well, before we get into uh, what you're doing now, you have the absolute most amazing backstory. Oh my God. And you, I didn't even know this about you until recently. You were on the last helicopter out of Vietnam. After I, the I, I mean, they were in a helicopter. It's one of those big military plane that, you know, like we, I remember just walking up onto, like, it wasn't like you get in and out of the door. It's more like it, the back of the plane opened up and all these military guys were all, you know, clipped in and we're just sitting on the floor. <laughs> Was it a prearranged flight? Like, did you, no, were you told no. you had to get there or you just showed the hell up? <laughs> no, my mom, my mom worked for the American government. So um, we were just waiting and they didn't know. We didn't know. My mom's friend didn't know. And my mom was out shopping, actually. <laughs> she was out shopping and then she ran to her friend. Her friend's like, oh my God, why aren't you? They called your name because they call your name on the radio. They called you to go to the embassy and get your paperwork, have it all ready. So that's what my mom did. Like, she rushed us. I just remember it was just so chaotic. You know, I mean, like, I'm talking about chaotic. We, we were on a bus to get to the um, there, to get into the embassy gate. And if you see the, the way they, they just show the Vietnam War, it's this white, tall fence around the U.S. embassy. Exactly. And I just remember standing there as an eight-year-old little girl with my, my brother, my cousin, my two cousins. And then my uncle, who wasn't going, he was just helping us get there. And then my mom. And it was just crazy. Then my one uncle who was supposed to go with us, they because he was 16 years old at the time, they're like, no, no, he needs to stay to fight the war. And then they, they wouldn't let him go, get on the plane because he was 16. And in the meanwhile, all these other these men dressed like women trying to get in. And they got busted. It was crazy. And people were climbing. I mean, it was chaotic. Wow. So so what was the journey like once you left? Um, where What was your... Um where did you go like what how did you what were the so, steps I mean, you took to get here as i recall i was as i remember that day i looked down i see like the craziness and as we're taking off i just remember like oh i was so excited i was more excited than everything because i think you know we were always told that one day we would be in america like this was the thing we wanted to go and i even like when i was a little kid little baby i was trying to speak um, English. I would make up words, actually. So I was very infatuated with America. You know, we were raised with, I was around more Americans than I was with my own people, Vietnamese people. I wasn't really allowed to play with other kids. I played with only my cousin. So we were very apart from everybody. And actually, my mom separated the children. We weren't, I didn't, in Vietnam, I didn't grow up with my siblings. We were separated to other family members. Because my mom felt, you know, she was fearful. Um, so now what, what we did was when we got on that plane, I remember looking down, I'm like, wow, this is so exciting, you know, no more nightmares. Cause I used to have weird night, crazy nightmares about running. So I, would have crazy nightmares. Cause I, I guess, cause you know, it, as a child, it doesn't, you hear bombing, you hear all kinds of missiles, you hear all kinds of stuff. You don't think much about it. You think that's the norm, but it does affect you, affect you in your dreams, affect you on the, your fearfulness. And so, and to this day, once in a while, I'll have a little relapse where I, I'm fearful somebody's going to come along and take everything away from me. So we end up going to Guam. And then from Guam, we went to Florida. And, you know, I, I don't remember people protesting that we were there. I just thought that we were meant to be there. And that I had the best time. We live in a tent for a little bit. I had the, I'm telling you, I had the best time. I, I don't know what, I'm, as refugees, as a child growing up, and we, I was in this, when we landed, we, we were in this, like a camp city, like it was all tents. 
And I remember my we're standing in line to get food and it was like eggs and bread. And we're like, what? We thought bread was cake. So we didn't know. You know, we're like, oh, but they're feeding us cake first thing in the morning. It was it's not, there was no rice. There was no fish sauce. There's no fish, no nothing. It was just eggs. Uh, I think we had uh, some scramble uh, potatoes or something like that. Like just American food that we forced ourselves to eat because we weren't really used to it. You know, like I wasn't like. They were like, oh my God, this is, and then we couldn't understand why they were giving us cake. It was bread. It was, it was like slices of, my brother thought it was so good that we, like he kept, he, my brother who is one of the most brilliant person, he's like younger than me. He's so brilliant. And, and he was, you know, as a child, he didn't speak to me. He was like five years old. We thought he was a mute, but he was just brilliant. And he was the one that would stand in line and would sneak between people and bring us food. So that was the first time, you know, that was my life for the first, like, I think three or four months until we got sponsored. To, uh, we were in Florida, uh, up, in, up in the Panhandle. I, I didn't know there was people against us. I didn't really. Yeah, we had uh, we had a group of Vietnamese people come to Canada in my city where I was living in Edmonton, and they stayed. They were housed in a barracks until they got placed. And yeah. Uh, there, yeah, I do remember. I was a kid too and i do remember the protests and i thought well why are they protesting these people <laughs> i didn't understand no i'm telling you i was like i literally am it's the same way i am today i literally walked around with clear pink sunglasses because the family that sponsored us picked we got picked up by a helicopter flew to orlando florida Okay, in a helicopter, we thought, oh, this is America. Wow, I really love America. This, and then we get picked up in this brand new station wagon to go to Deland. So, and this, I, I always remember the smell of the new car made me ill because we weren't, I, we, like I, as a child in Vietnam, I drove around in, in a Jeep and stuff, you know, military Jeep and we were fine with it. And we had like somebody would, would ride us around in, in a bicycle. Like we'd sit in the back and they'd ride us around. But we never, like, we just, came to America it was just the greatest thing and the people we were with and they lived in this like I mean their their dogs houses they had these huge dogs like my brother and my cousin and I would we could live in there and be that would be our house and that's how big these people's <laughs> houses and then and their daughter who was our age had two playgrounds we just thought this was America America should be like this right so yeah that's how my first and and then that night when we landed and then we were they they went and got his bathing suits right away we didn't know how to swim, even though we lived right next to the ocean. We knew how to swim in the ocean, but we didn't know how to swim in the swimming pool. I drowned the first night I was in America. Oh, really God. drowned. Like, uh, my cousin and I were on this on this little raft that we were sitting in a pool. We we're like, wow, this is so cool. We're both eight years old, and then the thing flipped over. And we I just remembered like just bubbles coming up. And so yeah, and after that, the our uh, our sponsor, as we um he paid this woman every morning. She'd come in and she'd drown us. For like months like i thought we learned how to swim she'd throw it in the water and she'd hold us down in the water and i'm like oh my god so i can swim but i'm not like you know not like my brother who's brilliant who can like do dives and tricks i just i i drowned so many times i was just like no i don't think so and and, and i think that's the only thing I, re I remember about being traumatized besides the racism that i had to experience as a young child but i think it's just you know i bet america was incredible even when we lived in a t in a tent we were so happy with we lived in a tent with five other family members, five I mean, other family, and it's this big, gigantic tent. Hmm. That's great. And you probably knew English already, so that was no. one hurdle. No. That you've, heard no, you didn't know any English? No. How did you learn it? 
Um, I had a really, uh, I had a second grade school teacher. It's, it's your teacher that you have to really give kudos to. And, and I, I, a few years ago, I found her too. And um, so her name is, oh my gosh, she's, her name is Sandy Prescott. I always remember her name. And um, she took time and she spent uh, teaching us different things. She took us horseback riding. She kind of like adopted us. Um, I was in second grade. I started second grade again, you know, because in Vietnam I was in third grade. I was going into third grade when we left. So I started school again. And it was, um, like I said, we uh, there was a special program where we learned how to speak English with the Cuban kids at the same time. So when the Vietnam, uh, the Vietnamese refugees came in, so was the Cubans coming in. So I spent my childhood with the Cuban kids and they didn't want to learn English really. A lot of them didn't, but we did. We, we were like just, I, I read, that's all I did. And, and, you know, I think the most important uh, people in, in our lives at that time is my mom. And, you know, I'm going to say something. I never appreciate, I never had the empathy for my mother because as a child, I was just angry that we, we went from being so well off to being poor. Like, I couldn't understand, you know, why we're so poor. So um, my mom, um, she, you know, when we left our sponsor, she wanted to um, work because she, you know, we didn't believe in welfare. We didn't believe, my mother just, it, just, it wasn't our, our thing. So we were on food stamp for the first three or four months we were in America. I was so embarrassed by that. I was so embarrassed of being on welfare. That's one thing I hated was welfare. The concept of welfare freaked us out. But um, my mom met this wonderful couple who we ended up sponsoring or adopting. They were my, our adopted grandparents. And they're the reason why. And so the reason you'll listen to me speak when certain words I pronunciate is because I have a California accent. Is because my adopted grandfather worked for Ronald Reagan when he was a city commissioner. I mean, educational commissioner, and Reagan was the governor. So wow. I, I like, I was taught really slogans. That's how yeah. I learned to speak English based on the slogans and the and the quotes. So yeah, I, I used to talk a lot. I used to interview a lot of Czech and Russian uh, oh, players in the NHL about their experience when they came, and a lot of them. The year going back now, they now most of them know English, but back then, a lot of them did not know English, and so some of them learned it from the TV. But I asked them also what the biggest culture shock was for some of them, and I'd say most of them said it was the food. What about you guys? The food and the tennis shoes and the wear. I'm used to either slippers or sandals. <laughs> So when we had to wear tennis shoes and we had to walk to, I think we walked like two miles because my mom didn't know there was buses so to register for our second grade class, uh, for our elementary school. Oh my God, that was horrific. And, you know, we, we were well off where we came from. We really didn't, we walked, but we didn't walk that far, you know, and it was a lot. It, might, it was a lot, but that was the culture shock. And the fact that, you know, we, we were poor and then, and, and I remember, I always remember my first day of school. I actually forgot about it. And my mom reminded me because my first day of school, she had to, my mom had to get called in because um, I took a bus. I got in this bus. I went to this bus. Now, this is me at eight years old now. I can't speak English, but I do understand. Hand, I can look at someone and know the hand gesture, right? And this little girl gets on the bus. I'm getting ready to go on. She looks down at me and does this whole Chinese thing with, and I, you know, no, I was on the bus and I looked down at her. And then she was doing this whole movement thing with the eyes. And I knew that was not a nice thing to do. So I got off the bus and I put, and she goes, and I guess when you were kids, I was like, you know, you don't get in trouble if someone else just pushes you, hits you first. You know, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know what she was saying, but I shoved her. <laughs> I got in trouble my first day of school for shoving some girl for making fun of my eyes, shape of my eyes. 
And that really caused trauma to me. I think it really made me, I wanted to be, I wanted to assimilate as fast as I could because I didn't want, and, and I, it was my whole life as a teenager, as a child, I wanted to be blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. The assimilation was real. It was real because you want to be part of everybody else and everyone, you know, and I didn't have like, we didn't have anything and everyone else had, you know, we were so poor, we couldn't afford. I always tell people we're so poor, we couldn't afford junk food. <laughs> wow. That's how poor we were. Like, well, at least you were, you went to a cult, like a climate that was, that was warm and you well, didn't come to I mean. Edmonton where you would be freezing your Yeah, well, we had three choices. My mom, I remember this. My mom said we were, when we were in Guam, either go to Canada, France or America. And my mom asked somebody that she's like, where is there? The, the weather is just like Vietnam. And they told her Florida. Yeah. And that's how we got here. Wow. But all of her friends went to Canada. Some of them are probably my neighbors. <laughs> so do you think it's easier or harder today for immigrants coming over? I think it's it's harder because because of the internet and because of social media, they think everyone is so like the, the, the like in America, they think that the streets are made of gold and that they think that everything, the government's gonna give you everything because they're used to you know, I'm, I'm saying this because I, I, I one of my, my half brother that I never met came over. <laughs> so so he I saw how how him and his wife struggle because they thought America wasn't about, you know, it's, it's about like just great, everything will come to you. It's not. It's a lot of work. It takes work. It's not about like, you know, and and depends how you were raised. We just didn't believe in handouts. We just we when someone gives us something. We work to give it back to them. I mean, it wasn't, you know, and, and we uh, we have great we're gratitude for it. You know, we have a lot of gratitude for everything. So it's harder today than it was back to compare when I was as a kid. Yeah. So you have tried so many different things. You've been a hairdresser, military sales rep, makeup artist, and way more. How did you end up doing what you're doing now? So I always tell people when one door closes, don't be sad. Don't be sad great things will happen. So I was, I helped launch a cosmetic company, which is well known today. It's called NARS Cosmetic, N-A-R-S. And I was, I lived, I moved to Boca and there was only two stores in 1996 with Francois NARS to get this cosmetic line because they started in Barney's. No one knew what it was. Back then it was all about Bobby Brown. So you have to realize back then I am a, I'm considered a country pumpkin to Boca, to people in Boca at Saxon Avenue. Because in Orlando, we don't know anything. We really didn't. Really. We just like I mean, trailer park was a common thing. We didn't have, you know, to, to say to spend a thousand dollar on a handbag is crazy. To spend nineteen dollars on a tube of lipstick is crazier, right? So I interviewed and interviewed, and so I didn't get that job with Nars. Right? They gave me Lancome because my boss saw me how I worked. Because when I moved down here, I didn't have a car. I didn't know anyone. I didn't even have a job, but I, I was freelancing. I freelanced for Ralph Lauren. So at that time, Ralph Lauren launched Polar Sports. So it didn't matter how much money I made. I just agreed to go wherever they tell me to go. So I'd take the bus, the train, whatever. I would go, I'd make $10 for that day, but I showed up. I showed up and the cosmetic manager at Sex with Avenue at the times watched me at Barney's, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Bloomingdale's and sat and then Boca and were there like, you know, competitor. And I didn't care who you were. I just jumped right in front of you and I just introduced you and just gave, I mean, I wasn't trying to push it on you, but I wanted you to smell it and then maybe you can check it out. So he was impressed with that. So he gave me that, he gave me Lancome that was getting like, 
which is the most boring line, but it wasn't. It was just how you see it, you know, how you look at it. So I, I made it the number one counter in the seat. And so NARS was getting pulled out. They're paying, a, a, they're paying for a line girl and a makeup artist. So I went up to my boss. I said, yo, give me this job, the position. Nobody wants it. And then, by the way, you got to give me $3 more because I was only making $11 an hour. I needed to make $13 at least. And I'm talking about 1990s for the end of 1996. So he gave it to me and they, they weren't going to, they were like, well, we're not sure if you're good of a makeup artist. I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm at the best makeup artist there is. I would practice makeup on people just because I wanted to see what the color looked like. I didn't give a crap that they didn't buy from me. I didn't care really. I had people coming in just so I could put makeup on them. To me, it was fun. It's better than sitting around complaining to people and say, oh, look at that person. I, I put makeup on homeless people. They come in, they smell bad, but I put makeup on them. I give them perfume. I get them samples. Because I look at life as like you treat people no matter where they're at in their life the way you want to be treated. So I, that's mm -hmm. what I did. And from there, I became, I grew. I actually, on my day off, I would travel and open Sephora for NARS Cosmetics. I opened up to Sephora, the Belk stores. I did all that while working my hours as a makeup artist line person. So my counter, like when I left in 2000, at the end of 2001, was a million dollars. This lifts, and we're getting ready to launch skincare. And I was actually, September 11th happened. They say that home is where the heart is. Maybe that's why so many fall in love with Big Pine Key and Florida's Lower Keys. With epic ocean views, unspoiled wilderness, sandy beaches, abundant wildlife, RV resorts, and Stock Island's rustic charm. Florida's Lower Keys don't skip a beat. For more about the Lower Keys and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash lowerkeys. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store, and you know what time of year it is. It's back to school time, and time once again for all of those after-school activities. Whether it's ballet or football, drama or field hockey, band or basketball, kids' feet need to feel good. Those cleats, sneakers, or shoes for band often don't do those young feet any favors. If our kids are going to stay active and healthy, then they need good feet. That means it's also time to take your kids to the Good Feet Store. Yeah, that's right, the young ones, the kids. Bring them into the Good Feet store and let's treat them to some personal service. Our team members will measure their feet and find the right art support for them. They can still wear the shoes they want, but they will have the support to make them comfortable now and keep their feet healthy for the future. It won't take long and it could change their life. Go to goodfeet.com to make an appointment or just stop by the location nearest you. The Good Feet store. I was in New York before, like the night before I came home and, and then all that happened. We were in the middle of a launching of skincare and I was grounded. So I was working Saks Cosmetics plus, you know, I thought my life it, back then, this is, I'm telling you the story so you understand what you think your life will be at a certain part in your life. If something happens, don't feel bad. Look at it as an opportunity. I thought I was going to be this famous makeup artist. I'm going to have my own skincare line. I'm going to have my own makeup line. I was going to be, I mean, I got interviewed. I was the girl from Michael Kors, Mary McFadden. I mean, Escada flew me to uh, Rodea Drive to do their fashion. Betsy Johnson. I mean, like, I was the girl. But what happened was um, I went ahead and took the position as a Southeast trainer for NARS Cosmetics. We were so, we were bought by Shiseido. Shiseido, um, marketing you Shiseido, uh japan was stuck in boca during september 11th mm -hmm. i was the person that they met 
And I was I kept saying, this is the makeup you need to get. It's really good for Asian skin because it's yellow based. So the girl, I didn't realize she was a head of marketing. She looked like she was 12. Turned out she was a head of marketing for Shiseido. Next thing I know, two weeks later, like, oh yeah, Shiseido just bought us for 80 something million dollars. I was like, what? And so they offered me the job of Southeast trainer. I became the Southeast trainer. I traveled. I flew in all these makeup artists. I taught them how to sell makeup. But then one, um, it was like March toward April, I got in a car accident. I, was, I should have been dead. I was going 80 miles an hour. And somebody made an illegal U-hand turn on Florida Turnpike, pulled right in front of me. I had Lamar Full of Love, who was Madonna's makeup artist. He was our international makeup artist. We both got really hurt. But I didn't stop. I didn't even dawn on me. I didn't even dawn I was really in a bad shape. I, I took pain pills. I did. I did. I did Dayland Mall, I did Naples, which we sold $21,000 worth of makeup in one day. I'm talking about $21,000 in one day, makeup. Wow. Sacks, 12 grand. So they grounded me because I couldn't feel my legs. My doctor said, you need to be disabled. You can never, ever work again. I'm like, what do you mean I can never work again? You're an inch away. If you've gone a little faster, you would never, you'd be paralyzed. Right now, you're suffering from all kind of stuff and this. So I didn't work for six months. And you know what I did? Instead of like believing what this, what this, they wanted me to like collect disabled and go on welfare. And again, I told you yep. like, all that. And it really gave me the rude awakening about like, you know, I'm going to be okay. So I went through all of my life, my, my savings, my 401k from Saks. All, I went through all that. And thank goodness I had my man. We were just started dating. And thank goodness I had him because he, you know, his mother, who, who is my guide in life. You know, she was my client too. That's how I met my man, actually. So she was like, you know, she was there telling me, helping me. And you know, when I got well and I tried to get a job back at Saks Fifth Avenue to launch Diana von Furstenberg's cosmetic line, I mean, they offered me like a lot of money just to because they saw what I did for NARS. Saks told me, the human resource told me that money sales isn't everything. You were disruptive to other employees. You are not a good match for us. So I didn't get rehired because I gave away samples to homeless people. I gave samples to other people. I helped. I just didn't care. I just gave samples away. Like I, I was like Tanya two tent samples. I was like giving samples. Like it was like, I'm like, it's free. It's like, what, what's the big deal? So I got complained on a lot because I was more about building relationship than sitting here trying to like sit around, be gossiping and be depressed with the other salespeople. So they didn't hire me. So here I am. I'm in tears actually. Like I, I go, I, I sold a million dollars for you guys a year. And I remember this woman tells me, Elizabeth Stone, I'm going to say it on YouTube. I don't even care. I saw her recently. I don't even care. She goes, sales isn't everything, Tanya. You know, getting along with people and you are disruptive to other employee and you would not be a good fit if we bring you back. So I always, remember I always tell you, treat people your way you always want to be treated. So I left. I cried. I went to this, rest, this uh, grocery store called Winn-Dixie. And I ran to this, young, this woman that I helped a long time ago. She's actually really she goes, hey, I work for a compounding pharmacy. If you're looking for a job, you should go check it out and see if they'll hire you because I think you'll be a great fit because your personality and, and and you know the guy that owns it. You know his girlfriend used to be your client. So guess what? There was it was a compounding pharmacy that compound hormones for anti-aging medicine. I went in there, interviewed with the guy. He loved me. He hired me on the spot. Hired me right on the spot, and they gave me a uh -huh. table. I didn't even have a computer. They gave me a phone. They gave me a list and I just start calling. And then I went, I went on and then I got obsessed with my industry. I obsessed with anti-aging medicine. I, and so 
they wouldn't let me go to the conferences. So I would sneak in. I spent all my money. What am I made? I spend my money to these conferences. And I met the speakers. I ended up hanging out with all the speakers. I mean, I was, it was, it was, it was like so weird that my own company was there, but they didn't want me to be part of it. But I was out having dinner with the speakers and I was building relationship with these speakers. So, I wonder why they didn't want you there. And they just thought that I was too new or whatever. I don't know. They all had their own way, but that count, I, I actually ended up quitting that pharmacy because um, the owner was whacked and it got raided after I quit. <laughs> so I started my own company and um, I, I started marketing to doctors and selling hormones to them. And that's how I started really in this industry. My one door closed. I thought that my life as a fashion makeup artist traveling the world, you know, my goal was to go to Japan for Shiseido and do all kinds of stuff. That didn't happen. But then I got into anti-aging medicine. And, and I'm telling you, when one door closes, another one opens. And then from there, I went on. I worked for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. I sold exhibit sales. And you know what they gave me? They gave me a phone, a, a closet as an office and like a stack of all these brochures of that the founder of the anti-aging medicine a4m went to these conferences and they're like call these people and get them to exhibit with us do you know how hard it is to randomly call people that don't know you <laughs> hey i got anti-aging medicine conference i'd like you to be part of because i believe in your concept it was hard but i did it i i but they, they didn't tell me that i had to charge them the full boat they told me just get us exhibitors they didn't say you know, they had to pay for, you know, <laughs> spot, sure. yeah, yeah, no, it was $3,700 for a booth. So I would go away. Hey, if I can give you the price you want today, can we go ahead and sign? And, and we have 3000 doctors, but da, 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 da. And most of them couldn't say no. One, one, they said like 2000. I'm like, okay, no, I, I, no, actually I put them on hold. I count to 30. I'm like, you know what? I got her to approve it. Which I lied. I didn't get a food. I actually got yelled at. I lost that commission. But <laughs> so you lost that job too? <laughs> yeah, I got, but I got them the amount of, I, I finished the job that I got. But, you know, so that, that my boss actually was going through some crazy times and she was not really nice to me. She made me question who I was. So I went on to like, you know, I got myself um, someone to come over every Monday to talk to me. I got mental health. <laughs> I, I have no problem talking about it. I talked to them. And from there, I just, um, she kept firing me at this conference, like work for this, I worked on them for like a year. And she kept firing me because I was friends with all the speakers because I knew them before. Right? Jealous. Like, yeah. And then she fired me like four times at, at one conference within three hours. And finally, I realized this is not what I want. And then when I came home, I already built so much relationship and I had a company that say, you know, I, I pitched the concept of all the different ideas that I had. And the founders like, if I give you a come work for me, I'm like, no, why don't you give me a retainer? Then I can start my own company. And they're like, you know, okay. So they gave me a retainer. That's how I started. And I got, and then I pitched them the concept of social media and they didn't want to. The whole board, everybody in that company hated it. The company's called Life Extension, by the way. They're huge now, but um, they didn't. They didn't believe in social media. They're like, no, no one's gonna. All they do is talk about what they're eating. It's all college kids. I'm like, let me just take a do your social media, and if it fails, you can say some crazy chick. <laughs> I still get paid anyway. I, I, you know, I, my job is come up with innovative ideas, and they're like, okay, they they were kicking and screaming, but here they are. You see, I'm a, they're huge now. A lot, most of their sales are from social media. 
Well, and when we were doing our broadcast in 2012, we were still kind of considered strange and out there because not a lot of people were jumping into that realm. That's why most of us who were on those broadcasts now are all really good friends. Yeah. And we used to trend, remember, on Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> to say you trend on Facebook is unheard of, but thank God I screenshot. <laughs> but, so, yeah. And so, so what, you know, I know that all of it, we can we can talk for hours about this stuff, but I think I just <laughs> what is one thing about live streaming that you absolutely love that that excites you? Because I want instant gratification. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, you're able to talk and share about your ideas. So when, when people feel like they're afraid, they want to like schedule everything out, they want to like sometimes being too organized can be detrimental. I feel like I, when I try to be so organized, I, I mess myself up because I get disappointed. But sometimes when I do, when I do my live stream and I, it's real and it's genuine, it's real conversation. It, your, your followers and your viewers love it. They kind of like get connect to you. Cause we had some, I mean, we had some really incredible episodes that we did I, thousands of people. I would jump in and watch us. So it wasn't like we had two or three, some days we might have, you know, 30, but some days we'll have 2000. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, um, the live streaming aspect, I feel that it's because we were able to have a co real conversation with real people and there is no, you know, fluff, as you want to call it. And, and, and at the time, no one was doing it. It was kind of cool. Yeah, and what you see is what you get. Yep. Besides my filter today, I have a filter on today. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the live streaming platforms have changed over the years and we're in it we're in StreamYard right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they, and a lot of them have come and gone. It's quite different now than it used to be. Cause when we started out, we were on Spreecast, then we went to Blab, then we, well, we were on Google plus. Yeah. Google All plus. three of those were quite Blab and Spreecast were very similar. They, they mm -hmm. had this social element to them. And um, what's, what do you like about where the live stream is going, like where it's transitioning to and where, what do you wish we still had from the past? I, I, I feel like the, the direction of social audio is so incredible. I freaking love it. I think I'm addicted to it. <laughs> I'm on it all day long. Even when I'm working, I'm like, I'm on it. I'm like lurking for it. I gotta have that hearing people talk around me. Um, I feel like, you know, I did a lot of Zoom last year. You know, we still try to create, you know, I didn't I didn't do much with social chats last year. I really, I didn't do much with social chats for three years because I was caregiving. And my mother-in-law passed away um, in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to get my groove back and I was rebuilding my website. So I, you know, I took time off instead of being so hard on the fact that I'm trying to like, oh, I, I don't want to lose my follower. I want to lose, that. you know, at the end of the day, Caregiving to my mother-in-law was more important to me than all the followers, all the people that, you know, I should have a lot more than what I have today, but I think I got a lot. I don't think, think I missed out on anything. Everyone would say, you know, oh, you missed out this, you missed out. No, I said, no, I didn't. I don't think I did. No. Because the time I spent taking care of her, spending time with her, talking to her and going with her to her chemo, it's a time that I would never ever trade because I was there to care for her and, and made her life comfortable. We didn't put her in a home. 
She didn't go through any of that stuff. She literally passed away in her our family room. We made the family room to a hospital ward. So those are the things, but the direction we're going today, I love because the social audio aspect and the Twitter spaces, which I'm, you can tell I'm madly obsessed with. Um, what, what I miss from the past was how innocent we all were. <laughs> we're so cynical. Yeah, we're, yeah. So, we're cynic. And um, I don't, I, I miss the fact that I used to have this air of trust with uh, Facebook, what they would do with my data, my content. It never dawned on me that I would be the product, you know, I yeah. would be the product. So now today I kind of like, I, I have the ability to choose where I spend my time. And I spend a lot of time on Twitter spaces, but I meet such incredible people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like hearing other people's voices and hearing their story is great. You know, it's great that I share my story. I share my story as much as I can, but I love listening to people tell their story, but then it makes my brain go, it, it gets my brain going. And then I'm like, oh, maybe you should meet this person or do this with this person or, you know, I, and I don't get nothing out of it. I make my money based on how I make my money, right? I have, I have a client, they give me a retainer. I create content for them. I oversee their brand and that's it. I don't have to, I'm not, I don't, my goal is not to take work home with me. I, I, I want work to be fun. So this is my, we have one journey. And if you wake up every day hating what you do, that's a sh crappy journey. But if you wake up every day thinking of new ideas and new things to create and meet other people and collaborate, that's an incredible journey. So that's what I, I miss as my, um, my innocence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this social aspect of it and how um, we could chat in front and behind the scenes. I guess you could do it here too, but um there is this social aspect to it, which Twitter Spaces has given us. And it's like yeah. the first platform that has replicated that feeling of blab and spreecast. And, uh, but what, how do you personally handle the trolls? Because you're going to get a troll once in a while, whether in, in your broadcast and sometimes, you know, well, you get them all the time on Twitter, especially, you know, female. Being a female, that that just seems to attract. I don't have that problem. As no, we've we've had some really, some. I don't know. I just don't. Have, I, I've experienced it all in my lifetime. It's about between, yeah. you know, um, sexual harassment. I mean, I experienced it all. Like I've dealt with all all of it. So like I do with things yeah. in a in a different way than most people. So instead of feeling offended, I feel like maybe these people are having a hard day or a bad day. So mm -hmm. I try to have sympathy for them. And not even sympathy. I say empathy, you know, mm -hmm. because what else? You must have nothing else to do to to do that. And, and <laughs> I, you know, being triggered, I, I was triggered already in 2020. So I've been there, done that, you know, what's next, you know, type of attitude. So I don't, I'm lately, I I, I mean, as, as I say this, this is like, <laughs> but I, right. I had that trauma. I mean, we, we had a couple that came in, but, you know, I, I don't block anyone. I don't, I would just say, you know what, maybe next time it'd be a better time for you. And I, whoop, we moved. So I don't have that. That is an awesome way to handle them. Yeah, it's just you know why, why get triggered? It's your time, it's your money, you know. Yeah. So what projects do you have in the works? I am still trying to get my finished my streaming on my website. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn AP the API of Twitter because I'm at first I was going to just go in put Zoom in there and do stuff, but I really like the way Twitter and how things are setting up that I am 
So my my site has like 12 streaming sites underneath of it. I built. I just have to decide which platform I'm gonna you know put the eight the key in. So I think that you know after watching how Twitter is like really putting the creator up front and creating. So I want that. And you know with my background doing social media. I mean I've been on digital since 2000 uh, 2007. I haven't never stopped. Maybe I. I rest on the weekend or maybe take 30 days off or something. Even when I was caregiving, I was very still involved. So um, I'm just going to finish creating that. And I still have my Empower Yourself workshop that I want to talk to you about. Um, I was going to do it on Run the World. I think we t- I told you about them. But then um, I'm going to put it on Fireside Chat, which I got approved as a creator. So it's an app that my friend Ariel, one of my friends that I met through Twitter spaces, he's one of the early adopters. So they're sending it all up. So I really like the platform. So I'm gonna I'm gonna create. So I this is how I look at different platform as a different types of way of utilizing the tool. So all mm-hmm. these not a one size fits all. Exactly. It's it's all yeah. tools. We can't look at this as like, oh, this is my life. No, it's a tool. Right. It's a communication tool. Once we accept that this is a communication tool and we're only using it to communicate with others, that's the way to do it. So my communication tool. If I want to have like a cocktail party or like just talk about it pre and post, I do Twitter spaces. And but for the main real conversation, TEDx type of conversation where you have a bot that plays music for you, where people can talk and communicate, text and make fun noises and really interact, I'm taking them all to Fireside. Because you can all turn on your video. It's video and audio at the same time. So it's not like it's just an audio. It's not a social audio. It's really a, a podcast utilizing video and audio mm-hmm. so um, and you can sell tickets to it so um i changed my format last year i was going to do this whole empower yourself with all the ladies i know locally and because of what happened i'm no longer as much into my local scene i'm going to my global scene so i met women from canada women from africa i mean women from all over the world so these are the women i'm going to use for my empower yourself it's like a 10 day 10 week series that's like, you know, a, a couple hours and just, you know, with exhibitors and I'm just going to test it out because, you know, when I did the Empower Yourself workshop um, in person, it was a huge success because when you get a whole bunch of women together sharing their stories, what empowered them, what changed them, what created them, those and they only have like five or eight minutes to tell you about it. <laughs> it changed. It really it's such a, a game changer because you want women in general to say, hey, if she can do it, why can't mm-hmm. I? You know, I, I want I want a, a seat next to her. She could do it. I can do it too. And that's the, the purpose of it. So that, that's when, those are the two things I'm going to focus on more than anything else. And besides being an NFT publicist, <laughs> I'm, I know it's going to be like another six months before I do that. But uh, I'm learning NFT and cryptocurrency. I don't even know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm just listening to people talk. So, but yeah, those are my projects actually. So what's the best piece of advice you were ever given? Uh, my best piece of advice is never look, always have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. You sound like a reporter. Yeah, <laughs> always have a plan because if you don't have, if you think one, if you do something, well, I am a reporter, but it's like, you know, if you do a plan A, it doesn't work. Don't be hard on yourself. Go to plan B. That's, do that for everything you do in life, you know? And, and, and I always talk about my fab selling, feature advantage and benefit. Use, use that technique in everything you do from your relationship 
to your work life, to everything. Think about the feature of it, the advantage of it, and the benefit of it. And once you practice that fab selling or fab conversation, you can do anything. I mean, as women, we can do anything. So that's why I gave you two. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tonya. This is Did I just wonderful. Like <laughs> and Tambiet. Thank you, everybody. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store, and I've shared before how I love an organization called TAPS, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Recently, we invited some TAPS family members who had lost a military loved one to have dinner with us. As we listened to their stories, I was reminded again of how the loss of a military loved one is such a devastating experience. Not only is the loved one gone, but often they lose their military community and sometimes an entire lifestyle. My heart was sad over their grief, yet my spirit was inspired by their courage. Then to top it off, I was amazed at their graciousness as they thanked us for just listening. At the Good Feet Store, we love helping you get out of pain and back into the life you love, and we love supporting the work of TAPS. Come in today for your free fitting and test walk and ask any of our team members why TAPS is an organization that every American can support. Visit goodfeet.com for the location nearest you.